This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Our homes today are like little cities full of different internetting boroughs, like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage. And Xfinity Internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once. You get coverage around town from the financial district home office to the spa. Xfinity Internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Find great offers and value today from Xfinity. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more. Restrictions apply. Our homes today are like little cities full of different internetting boroughs, like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage. And Xfinity Internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once. You get coverage around town from the financial district home office to the spa. Xfinity Internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Find great offers and value today from Xfinity. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more. Restrictions apply. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Brendan. I'm going solo today. Corey is traveling for the Thanksgiving holiday, but as I always say, guys, you want to listen to me. I bring the substance. We all know that. So we have a jam-packed show today. Jim Hickey actually did step down from the pitching coach position, or so they say. So we'll discuss potential replacements for Jim Hickey. In addition, the Cubs actually made some trades, some lower-level trades, but nevertheless, um, some guys who could make immediate impact come the next season. And then finally, with two weeks ahead of the winter meetings, we'll look at some of the potential free agents the Cubs might target. Fangraphs actually released their projected salaries for their top 50 free agents. So that includes both crowdsourced salaries as well as their staff salary projections. A lot to talk about. Before we get into it, again, you can find this podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, TuneIn. Basically, wherever you want to listen to us, we should be there. So if we're not on your preferred platform, let us know. Tweet at me at Cubs Related or tweet at Corey at CF Cubs Related. Of course, we do post our podcast episodes to CubsInsider.com. But once the season starts, some of those episodes, especially the midweek episodes, may not go on the website. So again, if you want to get up and catch up to everything we've talked about, follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you'd like. So first things first, Jim Hickey did in fact step down from his pitching coach position. Now, we were hearing about this for a few weeks. Jesse Rogers was the first, actually, to report that the Cubs may rid themselves of Jim Hickey. He didn't use those words per se. It sounds a little bit too harsh. But he did say on Waddle and Sylvie and 670 The Score that the front office may not have been super thrilled with the job Hickey did. Now, uh, 
who knows if that's actually true because then again, Jesse Rogers did try to clarify, I think, in some follow-up tweets when the Cubs did actually separate themselves from Jim Hickey. Uh, what happened was apparently Hickey stepped down for personal reasons, or, or so they said. Now, nothing came out after Jim Hickey announced this that the Cubs front office was dissatisfied with Hickey's job. Nothing came out about that. So we don't know necessarily the exact reason why Jim Hickey uh, stepped down, but you can kind of draw your own conclusions or your ideas of maybe why he did step down. So we we talked about this. Corey and I were discussing, hey, maybe it's because Joe Madden did not get extended. And we were saying, you know what? Jim Hickey has an incredible resume, an incredible resume, a great track record of success, especially in Tampa Bay with promoting basically all their young pitching guys within the last decade. So if you're Jim Hickey, you got to ask yourself the question, hey, am I going to stick around for Joe Madden when he may not even be back after 2019? If I'm Jim Hickey, I want security, right? Like if you, in any job, you want security. So I'm not necessarily surprised he stepped down if that's the case, which was kind of my concern actually with uh, Joe Madden not being extended, right? It's hard to convince or lure in really solid coaches. I, I would imagine if there's no security from the, the main guy, from the manager, right? So that's my speculation that Hickey probably wanted some security. And I think it's fair to think like that. Of course, the other argument is, yeah, the front office and Jim Hickey and Joe Madden maybe did not see eye to eye. We know with the exit interviews that Theo conducted at the end of the year, he learned some stuff. And it's look, it's possible that they wanted to go their separate ways. So that's not out of the realm of possibility. Nevertheless, here we are. Jim Mickey is out as the Cubs pitching coach. That means for the second year in a row, the Cubs will have a new pitching coach and a new hitting coach. So very odd. It's <laughs> It's been a weird last basically off season and a half now with, with these pitching coaches and hitting coaches stepping down, getting fired, getting replaced. And it's surprising, I guess, but at, at the same time, maybe it's not that surprising. You know, as, as we talk this out, seeing how some of the young Cubs pitchers may not have progressed to the level that the front office imagined, right? So Quintana, for example, didn't really progress last year. Again, Quintana was average. He's worth every penny that the Cubs are paying him. But you can imagine, hey, the Cubs gave up Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Zeese for probably a better than average starting pitcher. He didn't progress. And Jim Hickey was a guy who was touted as, quote unquote, a curveball genius, so to speak. Quintana has a great curveball. For some reason, he could not translate that to more whiffs last season. And other younger pitchers, like Carl Edwards Jr., just couldn't get it together. He had a solid first half, and then injuries kind of sidelined him towards the end of the year. But nevertheless, he just, you know, for, for a good portion of the year, could not be trusted. Same with other guys like Dylan Maples. He just, the command was never there. 
at, at, but again, at the same time, Cole Hamels thrived. John Lester continued to perform despite a lower contact rate. But who knows? Who knows what happened? Here we are. We have a new pitching coach to be for the next season. And there are two candidates that have been mentioned. The first candidate is, it's kind of funny, is John Farrell. Yes, that John Farrell, the former Boston Red Sox manager. In fact, the former Boston Red Sox World Series champion manager in 2013. John Farrell was mentioned by both the Chicago Tribune and the St. Louis Dispatch as a potential candidate. Even the St. Louis Dispatch went so far to say that, hey, Farrell probably is a frontrunner. Who knows if that's true? And even more recently, there was another report suggesting suggesting that Hadevi would be a replacement for the Cubs. So who who is this Hadevi? So Hadevi, which by the way, I practice saying his last name over and over again. Very proud that I'm doing this correctly. Hadevi actually was in the Cubs organization a few years ago. He was with Boston as well. So he was with the Cubs in spring training in 2014, and he blew out his shoulder. He was kind of a submarine pitcher, and he, again, has a history with Theo Epstein. The moment he blew out his shoulder, he felt like his career was over. So what did he do? He said, quote, I was in spring training with the Cubs in 2014, playing and blew out my shoulder. I had a feeling I was done, but I spent the summer rehabbing. Along the way, I took online sabermetric courses from Boston University I was a finance major with an economics minor at Wichita State, so I have a numbers background. I wanted to refresh my statistics knowledge, and the Sabermetrics course, which is obviously about baseball, helped with that. So he went on to say, quote, I started talking to teams. I told Theo and Director of Video and Advanced Scouting, Kyle Evans, what I was interested in. And once we signed Joe Madden, we discussed how the whole dynamic may work. They were in, and we kind of ran with it. So what did actually Hadevi do? His official title was Run Prevention Coordinator. We talked to a lot of different beat reporters. If they were in the clubhouse or within any of the facilities, Hadevi was in front of a computer, watching film, analyzing other opponents, and seeing how he could help communicate data to the pitchers. Now, going into 2018, Mike Montgomery actually credited uh, Hadevi with helping the slider. So getting a sharper slider based on film, based on data. He gained the trust of even some veterans, including John Lester. He, of course, gained the uh, trust from his manager, Joe Madden. Even Kyle Hendricks went on to say that he learned some things from Hadevi. And this is significant because Hadevi is only 37 years old. So if he replaces Jim Hickey, we're talking about almost a 25-year difference in age between the former and potentially new Cubs pitching coach. Okay, so personally, I, I look, I have no idea what to make of this. Um, of course, a lot of the players rave about Hadevi. And some have compared him to the other Cubs, run prevention, connoisseur, Mike Borzello. Different roles, different skills, different philosophies. But those two actually worked hand in hand. So there might be some continuity. Again, the, 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 the theme of the offseason to me is continuity, right? 
Theo said it in his press conference, you want to try to stay the course. So it may make more sense to bring in Hadavi. The things we don't know about is former major league pitcher, knows a lot of stuff, but he was more so on the data side of things. I don't know how that translates to actual pitching mechanics. Of course, the Cubs will have a better gauge of that than, than any of us. So if they decide to go with Hadavi, it would be interesting. You have a 37-year-old young guy, very vocal, very curious in his ability to combine data with communicating to major leaguers is, I think, an asset. So we'll see what happens with that. Now for John Farrell, I would be shocked. I would be shocked if he is hired. More so because that's just a weird scenario, man. Like, imagine Joe Madden, World Series manager, pitching coach, former World Series manager in the same role, with the knowledge that Joe Madden may not be extended beyond next season. So <laughs> you can just imagine the the Chicago media having a field day with this. And I, I don't know. I'm just not dicking the whole idea. It seems to be so many more potential viable candidates that deserve a shot. And not that John Farrell does not deserve a shot. Not saying that. But if you're going to try to avoid conflicts with the coaching staff, with any type of substance the Chicago media can can eat, right? Like, I just don't see it being a, a decent option. But who knows? We don't, you know, as outsiders looking in, we don't really know the full spectrum of what certain guys can offer. We're, we're outsiders, right? But I, I do trust Theo and the front office to get this right. And I know they fired two pitching coaches. Well, Jim Hickey stepped down, but... They fire two hitting coaches. They got rid of two pitching coaches within the last two seasons. The track record is not the best per se, but I don't know. I feel like they've learned a lot with their players and over the last few years. They know what they need. They know how they can develop some of these guys. And I'm, I'm encouraged by some of the names that have been thrown out there so far. And what would be interesting too is if Hadevi is hired by the Cubs, he joins Anthony Iaposi, both the young guys, both have been working with a lot of the young Cubs hitters just beyond their time at the major league level too. So they have an idea of who does what, who can do what, and how to improve certain players. So I'm I'm into that idea. And I do like they have a little bit of youth on their side. Not that you can't communicate even if you're an older guy. I'm not saying that, but maybe it does help. Both those guys have been in it. They've been grinding. They're young. They've been with a lot of the Cubs prospects for a while. It may work out. Okay, moving on. So the Cubs made a deal last week, guys. They traded Jason Vossler for a pitcher on the Padres, Roran Wick, or Rowan Wick. I, I Look, I don't know how to say his first name. R-O-W-A-N Wick. He's six foot three, big guy, 234. He was drafted in the ninth round by the Padres, or rather by the Cardinals in 2012. And he was traded to the Padres actually last year, where he pitched in all of AA, AAA, and the major league level. With the big league club, he only pitched eight innings. He had a 6.48 ERA, but he only had a walk rate of one batter per nine. Again, eight innings, small sample size, make nothing of it, I think. But in his AAA and AA numbers, so in AA, he pitched 31 innings. 
had a K rate of 12 per nine, had a walk rate of six per nine. So as a comp, think of like Dylan Maples, basically, but not necessarily Dylan Maples with that strikeout rate per se, but a 12 per nine strikeout rate is pretty impressive. And then he was moved up to AAA halfway through the year. A strikeout rate of 8.74, a walk rate much better of 3.97. His ERA in AAA was 1.99. Then he got the call. So Wick features essentially a two-pitch repertoire. He throws a fastball, seven of 10 pitches. He averages 95 miles per hour. Now he does have a slider. Throws a slider basically once every four pitches. That averages 88 miles per hour. So it's kind of like maybe one of those cutter mixes. And then he has a curveball. So the curveball is thrown sporadically, maybe like once an inning, once every 10 pitches or so. That averages nine or 76 miles per hour. But basically, you're looking at a two-pitch guy. You're looking at a guy who throws a fastball or slider over 90% of the time. Now, in terms of his ground ball rate in AA, he had a ground ball rate of 57%, well above the league average. AAA, it actually went down a lot to 47%, which is basically at the league average mark. So I don't know if he's necessarily a grounder-heavy guy. The data is kind of up in the air right now. So Wick is added to the 40-man roster. He'll compete probably for a job going into next season, but there was a corresponding move as well. So Justin Steele was added to the 40-man roster. Now, Justin Steele, very big guy for the Cubs. He was actually drafted in the fifth round in the 2014 draft. He's only 23 years old, six foot two, 195, and he had a solid year last year. So he was, he was dealing with a few injuries prior to 2018, and he actually started 2018 in rookie ball. Then he went to high A, pitched 18 innings, had a lot of success. He had a K per nine of 9.3, a walk per nine of only three. Went to double A, two starts only, 10 innings, but looked pretty good. K per nine again of six and a half, walk rate under three. So all signs look towards Steele being an immediate value type guy. Now, whether that means the Cubs envision him as a starter or reliever immediately is to be determined, but he probably has, I think, the front office envisioning him as a starter. Now, Steele was recovering from Tommy John surgery before last year, so this is a guy who will need to be eased into any type of long role. Now, Maybe that's a Mike Montgomery-esque role. Maybe he'll do that, swing back and forth in AAA. A few spot starts, maybe you know, come out of the bullpen. Who knows? But at the very least, going in 2019, his role on the Cubs is, is to be determined. He'll probably start in, in, in Iowa, shuttle back and forth and see what happens. But he's, he's look, he's a fifth-round draft pick, has good stuff, high fastball. Again, he's a lefty, so he has that, that funkiness to him. Encouraging. Okay, so the winter meetings start two weeks from today. If you're listening to this on a Monday, now the Cubs have a lot, they have a lot of work to do. Their bullpen is pretty crowded right now to begin with. So I'll read the list of names who have pitched for the Cubs in 2018 in the bullpen. So you have Brandon Morrill, you got Strope, you got Carl Edwards Jr., Cijek will be back, 
Kinsler with his $5 million contract will be back. Then you have, of course, Brian Dunsing. He may just get outrighted, honestly, but we'll see. Justin Hancock, who I really, really like, actually. And then Randy Rosario, Dylan Maples, James Norwood, Tyler Chatwood, Alec Mills, and Alan Webster. And that does not even include Roran Wick, who we just talked about. That is, how many guys is that? That is one, two, three, four, five. That is 13 pitchers, guys. And now looking at the rotation, right now they have six guys slotted in the rotation. Of course, you have Hendricks, Lester, Hamels, Darvish, Montgomery, and Quintana. All in all, not many spots for the pitching staff. If you're going to field a team with 13 guys, you got to get rid of a few guys or be comfortable with guys like Norwood or Rosario in AAA for the majority of the year, shuffling back and forth. So what does that mean actually for trades? What does that mean for the free agent market? Notice how I did not say Jesse Chavez's name. Chavez is a free agent. He's actually rated as the 50th most valuable free agent. And according to fan graphs, most people think he'll get a contract of one year worth $5.5 million. Now, Kylie McDaniel who writes for Fangraphs, he's the, he's the main guy for this type of stuff, for the free agents, for the money stuff. He projects Chavez with a one-year deal worth $8 million. Okay, so I, I, I don't think that's going to fit the Cubs' plans, unfortunately. Their payroll sits at $222 million. They're already above the first tier of the luxury tax. They have holes to fill in the lineup. Seeing Jesse Chavez come back for $8 million seems unlikely. And if they want to go out and get a, a big dog per se, you know, they can't be spending $8 million on, on relievers who are aging. So going back to the very tip top tier of the list, okay? Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, of course, one and two respectively. You can flip a coin who's going to be more valuable, but same tier, so to speak. McDaniel thinks Machado will get a nine-year contract worth million, or a $31 million annual average value contract. Bryce Harper projected to get 10 years, $33 million per year, or $330 million total. The crowdsource are a little bit more below that estimate. They think, okay, maybe around nine years, but still $33 million. Nevertheless, you're looking at Harper being projected at $33 million per year for a decade. So if you want to see Chavez, Bryce Harper is not going to happen. All right. And then since we're going down that list, there are a few starting pitchers and, you know, maybe some other guys, some utility guys or outfielders that might make sense. Dallas Keuchel, Cy Young winner a few years ago. Guess what? Kylie McDaniel forecast him for a four-year deal. $21 $21 million per year, $84 million total. Man, like, that, that sucks to see, especially after giving Darvish basically the same AAV for two more years. It, it, it kind of sucks because now you're looking at McDaniel's projection for Keuchel. It, it, it's nice. It's nice to see that few of years committed. And According to Steamer, Keiko is going to be projected for a 3.7 ERA, a 3.7 FIP, and a war over three. So that's that's a steal. Um, I doubt the Cubs are in on him, but some other team will pay that and they'll reap the benefits for it. 
So other guys, hitters on that list, you have Josh Donaldson. This projection is nuts. Three years, $18 million, $54 million total. That's a steal, guys, or a relative steal, given what Donaldson was expecting to make going into 2018. Now, again, I don't think the Cubs will be in on him, but you know, you never know. Outfielder-wise, you have three outfielders who are on the market who might make sense if the Cubs can move some other pieces around. First guy on the list, number six, is Michael Brantley. Yes, that Michael Brantley from Cleveland. Yes, the guy who's been injured for the last basically five years. So the the projection for him is three years, $16 million, $48 million total. Steamer has his projection at a 345 Woba, worth two and a half war. And then right there with him, you have A.J. Pollock, who is projected for three years, $18 million, $54 million total. He's projected at a, as a three-win player and a 330 Woba. And then going down, you have Andrew McCutcheon on the list, guys. And uh, we, we were talking about Andrew McCutcheon even before this year as a guy who just kind of fits in with the Cubs' culture, I feel like. The projected salary is really favorable for McCutcheon. So only a two-year, $13 million salary, which is essentially the equivalent of like a poor man's John Lackey salary. So $13 million per year, two years, total of $26 million. McCutcheon's projected to have 2.5 war at 3.55 Woba, and he's 32 years old. So that kind of sets the the tone of the offseason. I mean, you can continue to go down this list, and you can go to Fangrass and read the complete list, but some other guys notable that might make sense is Andrew Miller, uh, McDaniel, and the crowdsource think he'll get two years, $11 million, so pretty good. Uh, Miller dealt with his injuries. He's aging. It's kind of crazy to see he's 34 years old already. Um, but if you can stay healthy, I mean, he should be valuable. And then a similar player is Zach Britton, 31 years old. He's actually projected to get three years, $10 million, probably because of that age. And honestly, I, I think that's it. I think that's all the guys that make sense. Uh, I, I don't see the Cubs going out there and spending for guys like Gio Gonzalez or Dave Robertson or Joaquin Soria for a variety of reasons, most of which are about age and just recent performances. But I want to talk about the Cubs' payroll status right now. Of course, it's gotten a lot, a lot of attention because some reports came out that suggest the Cubs won't spend money. Coincidentally, the Cubs have the highest projected payroll for 2019 so far. Of course, that does not include other teams, potentially like the Phillies or the Yankees or the Dodgers. And of course, that does not include the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Phillies going out and getting any high-impact player worth $30 million, like your Bryce Harper, like your Manny Machado. But still, that's where the Cubs are. But I want to point this out because it's important, and the Cubs don't have much committed relatively for the 2020 season and beyond. So what do I mean by that? According to just your standard arbitration raises for 2020, the Cubs probably will have a payroll around 150 to 170, and that will put them about 40 million underneath the luxury tax payroll. In other words, they can continue to spend on Chris Bryant, continue to spend on Javi Baez, 
and shovel a lot of the other arbitration raises and get other players in free agency. They, they're going to have more money to spend once guys like Cole Hamels and even Brandon Morrow and Steve Stijek and Pedro Strobe and Ben Zobris come off the market, okay? So they have a lot of expiring contracts for 2020. They even have, and I bring that up because at least for me, I don't know how you guys are, but it's it's easy to get short-sighted. Like for me, it's easy to, easy to see the 2019 payroll and assume, oh yeah, there's no way they're going to spend more and, and, and get more guys back for the 2019 season. And yeah, that, that might be true. And in fact, that's probably likely, but we're still hearing reports that the Cubs are listening in on Bryce Harper, right? Like we're still hearing this. And I still think it's within the realm of possibility for the Cubs to go out and get an impact player, spend the money, maybe take a little bit of a luxury tax hit in terms of draft picks or paying penalties. What that means is they could probably pay upwards to $20 million in penalties and lose 10 draft slots if they get a Bryce Harper. But 2020, 2021, 2022, and beyond... That may not be that big of an issue. Now, of course, that might be an issue if you want to bring in future players in addition to the ones you get this offseason. That might be a little problematic. So, for example, if they do bring in Harper and they just keep everyone else, that payroll will jump in 2020 to around $200 million. And then you're playing with fire and your flexibility. So who who knows? But what I'm saying is it's still possible for the Cubs to go out there make a few deals, maybe sign an impact player, and still be underneath the luxury tax penalty for 2020. And they may not even be the highest payroll in 2020 and and beyond, given what the Yankees or Phillies might even do. So I, I, I do think it's possible. And there's no clear path for what the Cubs are going to do. Like, in 2016, going into that year, you knew what was going to happen. I mean, Theo spelt it out. He wanted more contact guys. So what did he do? Signs Bryce Harper? Or, no, signs Ben Zobris. I wish they signed Bryce Harper. But signed Ben Zobris, signed Jason Hayward. He spiked that contact rate up. He tried to get some more veterans in the clubhouse, improve his situational awareness, and it worked. It worked in 2016. Few hiccups in 2017, 2018, but that philosophy worked in 2016. We don't really have that clear direction. Like, there's no immediate, obvious candidates that are going to fill the Cubs' holes. Because you look around, and I hate saying this, but it it gives me anxiety thinking about it. But I I love Javi, but to expect that he can repeat his 2018 year, I I don't know how confident you are in him doing that. For me, like, I, I love Javi. I absolutely adore the changes he made last season, but got to be realistic. I mean, Steamer projects him as a 335 Woba. He had a 366 last year. I just, I don't, I don't know if you can peg him in as a reliable 360 here on out. And he's always going to be an above average player. And I hate talking about Javi like this because I know, I know if you talk bad about Javi in any way, it seems like you're irrationally berating him. And I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying, if you're going to treat Javi like a Chris Bryant or an Anthony Rizzo, you need that consistency. And if you're Theo, if you're the front office, you're trying to peg 
a reliable forecast for 2020 and 2019. It's, it's, the computers are just not going to like Javi Baez being a reliable five-win player year in and year out. Then, then you look around, and at least for 2019, you have an aging Ben Zobrist who was one of the biggest producers for 2018. I don't know if he can repeat that. I hope he does. And outside of injuries, he probably will. But again, he's going to be almost 40 years old. I don't know if you can have that reliability with Ben Zobris being 40 years old. And then Albert Amora, Ian Happ, Kyle Schwarber, Jason Hayward, right? Amora had a 245 weighted on base average last season in the second half. And also in the second half, he only batted like 230. So whereas in the first half of the season, Amora was one of the better run producers, not just for the Cubs, but... Actually, for all center fielders in the league, he just he couldn't adjust. He couldn't adjust to pitchers in the second half. And then Ian Happ and Kyle Schwarber and Jason Hayward, like they had their ups and downs last season. Their overall sum of their performances were about league average. Schwarber a little bit above league average. Hayward and Happ basically at the league average mark. Again, you want more from that, though. You want more from the outfield group. You expected more from the outfield group, like Theo said. So there's 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 so many directions the Cubs can go ahead of these winter meetings. And if I had to bet, if I were betting on this, which I would never bet on this because this is hard to tell. But if I were, I imagine some guys will get dealt. I would be surprised if both Hap, Schwarber are back next year in any role. And you can say the same thing about uh, Hap and Almora. Like, I don't know. I think at least one of those guys will be moved. And again, talking about moving players is always negative. And that's nothing against the player's value because if they're with the Cubs, I'm cool with it. I would love to keep Schwarber. I would love to keep Happen Amora. But I understand Theo's quote. It's time to evaluate by production and not talent. And so what that means to me is one one of those guys is going to go. As far as Hayward goes, if you can eat that contract, he's what is he has five more years left, twenty three million a year. It might be possible to eat half of that and have some other team take on the rest of the contract and pay half of that. It's possible, but it's going to be difficult, and you may even have to shell out a prospect or two just to convince someone to take Hayward. It's going to be interesting. I, I there, there's again, there's no clear path. But I expect the Cubs outfield to look a little bit different, which is why I brought up the outfielders in the free agent discussion with Pollock or Brantley or McCutcheon, because you can trade some guys around, net some value back, sign an Andrew McCutcheon for a year or two, and you get maybe a little bit more reliability and you get some value back for Hap, for Schwarber. The problem I have with that is you're kind of selling low on Schwarber or Hap or Almora. And there's no obvious return. I think, you know, two or three years ago, you would have said, okay, yeah, you can trade those guys and get back a starting pitcher. But I read the pitcher's list off in the first half of this podcast. They already have six slots for the starting staff next year. If you trade one of these outfielders, where are they going to pitch? You know? So maybe it has to be a prospect of some sort. So that's that's where it's so weird. This is such a weird offseason, and it's hard to project where they're going to go. But I 
I, I, I don't know. I think my philosophy, too, has changed a little bit based on last season. Corey and I always talked about, yeah, it's so nice to have all this depth. And you can play the matchups. You can sit Schwarber against lefties, play uh, Almora against righties, play the matchups. Even if against a, a tough righty, you can sit Schwarber and play Hap, right? I don't know if that's the way to go anymore. And I think there is the argument that these guys need to play. They need to struggle to some degree, and an example of that is Javi Baez, who was allowed to fail in 2018 during some times because the Cubs had no alternative. Russell got hurt, he had his off-the-field problems, and who else was going to play shortstop? Mike Freeman? Hell no. So Javi was able to adjust at times, and there was a stretch there in between his hot stretch in late May, going into the All-Star break, There was a stretch between that and September where he just was not that good. And I think that helped him. It helped him adjust to play every day and learn about what he needs to do. And for guys like Schwarber and Hap and Amora, you just, they never got those chances to consistently fail. And to some degree, it's possible. I'm not saying this likely or this is the reason. I'm just, you know, I'm talking to you guys about this. I, a part of me thinks that that's not the way to go anymore. And I always look back at Jorge Soler. And Soler had all the injuries in the world with the Cubs, but at the same time, even when he was healthy, he was splitting time. And the conversation in 2015 and 2016 dominated uh, was dominated by Javi Baez and whether or not who should play or who should be traded. And I can remember even dating back to those early 2016 podcasts where Corey and I were discussing like, hey, who would you rather rather trade, Jorge Soler or Javi Baez? I'm not going to tell you who Corey said, but you kind of get the idea there. And I think it's a similar discussion or, or concept now of, hey, who should we trade, Hap or Schwarber? And that's partly influenced by our uncertainty of what these guys can do because they have not gotten consistent playing time. And that's not to bag Madden. I again, I loved, absolutely loved the idea of mixing and matching, arresting guys, and promoting other players' development, but not exposing them to to, to hard pitchers. I, I understood the logic, but maybe the results aren't there. Maybe that does not make sense anymore. Maybe these guys are getting too old to have that philosophy. I mean, Almora is going to be twenty five years old going into next year or will be 25, around like May or June, I think. That's old. That's old for a prospect standard. And Schwarber will be 26. These these guys aren't prospects anymore. And again, production, not talent. I think there's going to be a point in the offseason where you may actually have to eat and sell low on one of the guys just so you can, can make a playing opportunity available for one of those three guys of Hap, Amora, and Schwarber. I don't know what the where, where, where to go with this. I don't know what the right path is. I don't think anyone does. And I don't even know if signing Harper is the right way to go about this. But the point I'm making is I think 2018 was more of a philosophical shift, not just from a fan's point of view, but from a coaching staff's point of view, of course, with all these changes and even a front office's perspective, I, I think the U has been very transparent about this, that yes, you can evaluate, critique, examine the players, but 
it is up to him. It's up to Theo to guide the philosophy. And I think there's going to be a change. I think there's going to be a change of how they go about doing this. This is not the same environment that they played in 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 2012. It's a completely different field, a completely different set of parameters here. And when Theo and company kind of set the tone in 2011, 2012, with drafting only hitters for the most part, trying to risk and bank on a ton of young pitchers in the middle of the rounds of the draft, that just hasn't necessarily worked. And there's, there's going to be a change because of that. I don't know what that's going to be, but my guess is it's going to be time to, to move on and try to make more opportunities and allow these guys to fail. So that about wraps up, I think, the most recent news for the Cubs. So again, just to summarize, Jim Hickey out as Cubs pitching coach. According to a lot of the reports, he stepped down as pitching coach. Previous reports suggested the Cubs front office was not happy with his performance. So make what you will out of that. And in addition, two names have been pegged as potential candidates to replace him. One is Tommy uh, Hadovy, who was a former lefty submarine pitcher for the Cubs. Did not make it in 2014, blew out his shoulder, and that was it. Second replacement is John Farrell, former Boston Red Sox manager who won the World Series in 2013. I'm sure that we'll hear more potential candidates ahead of these winter meetings. You're going to have to try to fill the role sooner rather than later just to have free agents look at the Cubs as potential landing spots, even not the top tier free agents, even the middle class, lower tier guys. If they want to come play for the Cubs, you got to have a pitching coach involved, right? So I expect before the winter meetings in two weeks for that to really heat up. It's unseasonably late for having these coaching vacancies. In addition to the pitching coach change, we have Cubs acquiring Warren Wick for third baseman Jason Bossler. Wick, again, probably won't make the opening day roster, but he could be a candidate. You'll never know how the offseason shapes out and what these guys have in store. And then we talked about some of their free agents into winter meetings, particularly the optical group. So you have Michael Brantley, you have Andrew McCutcheon, you have A.J. Pollock, all pegged around three to four years, around 12 to 15 million per year. Corey and I will will hop back on probably for you guys next Monday. We're going to get those Monday podcasts out for you guys every week. If anything does happen, though, of course, we'll pop on, we'll record, we'll give our thoughts like we usually do. And even during those winter meetings, if any like hot stove rumor comes on, we'll probably do a, you know two episodes per week. We'll, we'll see what happens here. Just ride along with us. The offseason's been so unpredictable this season, and even last season with the Shohei Otani stuff, you just you never know what's going to happen. So, so this has been the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. By the way, CubsInsider.com, I, I got to give Evan credit here. He's posting nonstop, and he's posted some really terrific articles in the past few weeks. And any news, any analysis, any commentary you want, CubsInsider.com has it. Evan's very grounded. He gives great thoughts. So I do recommend you guys to go check them out. And of course, you can always find us on Spotify, on iTunes, on TuneIn, iHeartRadio is a relatively new one. And if you can leave a five-star review, we, we really do appreciate it. It helps us get more exposure. 
you would be surprised just what a few reviews does to getting new listeners like yourself in. As Corey always says, and I'll repeat him, whether they're playing or not, or whether we have off-season rumors or not, go Cubs. Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity X1 gives you the most complete entertainment experience with everything from live TV to your DVR to on-demand favorites and your streaming apps. Just use your voice remote to easily find what you want to watch. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.